This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Uh, Come call here for a moment in the uh, Warthog Command Center in the piney woods of North Central Florida in God's country in the Melton Law Studio. Who had the Mellon Law, 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. That football season's coming up. Mellon Law won't back down, and we're protected by, of course, crime prevention 24-7, cpss.net. And check out the mug shots brought by Maurice T. McDaniel. At, um, everybody seems to want to see who did what to whom, and so we keep that out there for you. Um, Coach Hulk's locker room today has a couple of stories I'm going to get through and then some local things. And then um, we'll get into some really interesting things going on in the local scene. So if you're so inclined to be following that story, a couple of things that have struck my attention here that have gone unreported, so to speak, in the uh, regular news and sports uh, that you generally read is um, Ukraine boxers. You know, Ukraine boxers have been the quite successful. We had uh, a couple of champions come from Ukraine. Uh, They were well-known guys, big, strong, tough guys. Um, They uh, trained, it turns out, at a gym in in Ukraine, which has now pretty much uh, been uh, decimated by the Russians. And the boxers have all taken a big hit. Um, The coach was a guy whose name I may not get right, uh, Dmitry Sosnovsky. He was a national box, boxing coach. He um, is down to 15 boxers and trainers, and they're trying to decide whether they can carry on and do what they're doing. Uh, some of the boxers, of course, uh, who would be boxers in normal times, if there are such things in Ukraine, uh, joined the armed forces. Some became refugees, and some decided to fight in other ways. And Sosnovsky is a very interesting past to him which is kind of scary, which I'm going to get into with you in a moment. But um, uh, Ukraine boxing uh, was really very well known on the international stage. And Sovnovsky had coached uh, some of the country's best boxers, including at one time uh, he coached the current heavyweight world champion. And uh, but Russia's invasion of this area, uh, this has been covered by uh, Alistair McDonald, who's writing about boxing Ukraine. I thought that was pretty interesting. Russia's invasion uh, into Ukraine cities has not only killed thousands of people and turned millions into refugees, but it's really uh, taken a brutal toll on this boxing sport, which was one of Ukraine's uh, signature athletic uh, excellent uh, programs. Uh, Before the war uh, in Ukraine with Slavdowski, about 100 fighters trained there, and um, now at the most there might be 35, uh, but eight of the really great boxers who were destined to very 
prominent careers on the international fighting platforms are now actually fighting at the front line. Um, the former world welterweight champion um, is, is involved with this type of battle against the Russians. There are no currently, so consequently, no currently no professional or amateur fights in Ukraine. Um, the young men who are in the boxing world there in Ukraine are not allowed to leave the country by law. You got to stay here and now fight, help us fight for the country, which they don't have any problem with. Uh, they're getting quote unquote real fighting experience. Um, since this war started, uh, eight Ukrainian boxers who had won titles at a national or regional level have been killed in fighting, uh, including a former European youth champion. So this is, I thought this was such an interesting story. You know, boxing is a sport, but in Ukraine, it's not a sport. It's a real fight. And if you're not fighting to train on the international level, you're fighting on the front with the Russians. And you may lose um, points or knocked out in the ring, but you get killed on the fight on the front with the Russians. So the entire country, Ukraine's entire boxing infrastructure has been seriously decimated. Uh, 14 sports facilities have been damaged and three destroyed. I mean, you know, imagine some of our big sports complexes here, a bond to smithereens and reduced to nothing. The trainers and the boxers have had to leave their gyms and their equipment now in occupied territories. And um, this is a, a, a obviously really strange event. So you have world-class trainers who have uh, a trainer here in Savnosky who really doesn't have anything anymore to train. Even the, the gymnastics coach, uh, which they're very good at as well, at a children's sports school, uh, took all of the athletes and the parents to a camp in Poland, and uh, they're not going to return until this war, who knows, is over. Now, the, 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 the repercussions of this are, you know, obviously greater than just boxing, but the, the, the unity of the boxers with the fight for their country is what interests me. Uh, also, Ukraine had one of the largest fencing centers. It was completely destroyed by the Russians. I had a soccer world Cup. A cup team, uh, it's it's gone. So um, Klitschko, I can't say his name, the two brothers who dominated the heavyweight division from around 2004 to 2015, uh, they are now literally fighting at the front. So uh, this was a real devastation of a sport in this country. Um, now, the interesting thing about this great coach, he's 64 years old. And he was born, get this now, in a Russian Arctic penal colony that his mother had been sent to. You know, I don't know. I mean, you're 64 years old. You think this stuff would be over. You know, I'm thinking about some of the current battles we're having here in this country, which, according to some future, you know, conjectures, has us fighting this fight for another 50, 60 years. And maybe destroying the structure of the United States right now, as we know. I've heard people express those points of view. And you say, well, that's really far-fetched. That can't happen. Well, ask this gentleman, a 64-year-old man who was born in a Russian Arctic penal colony. He survives that. He goes to Ukraine, starts a boxing academy, 
creates heavyweight champions, welterweight champions. And now, not only is he fighting for his life against the very same kind of forces that he was born under, uh, the gym's weight room is currently being used to sleep refugees, uh, up to 40 sleeping on the floor. Um, there's nobody there training. So imagine, I just got to thinking about this from this gentleman's point of view, Sobnowski. What in the world? You know, what do you do? I mean, this stuff chases you all your life. Um, and now his boxers are not fighting for their own glory. They're fighting for their father, their mama, and for their country, he said. I thought that was really interesting. I thought I'd pass it along to you. And it's just a different view of sports. You know, we've got our Mike Tysons and our uh, Muhammad Ali's and whatnot. But these guys are, they're at another level. One other story I want to give you in the uh, sports coach hogs locker room is a gentleman that you may never have heard of. His nickname was Agent Orange. And, you know, we're looking now at these incredible salaries that uh, athletes get in the sports. And, and you know, once upon a time, though, I've got friends who, who uh, I, I, I see occasionally who had long careers in, say, the NFL, and they don't have any kind of retirement anywhere near or nest egg, any, nest egg anywhere near what these guys have got who are now benefiting from absolutely, if you think about it, this guy, Agent Orange, is the one who started it. Now, who is Miss, uh, Agent Orange? He's a gentleman who died when he was 85 years old just this last July 13th. And he first, uh, uh, Phil Knight, who co was a co-founder of Nike, met this man, Howard Howard Slusher is his name, in 1975 when he was negotiating a shoe endorsement deal for a basketball player. Slusher was with Knight, and uh, Slusher was so successful in uh, negotiating the deal with Nike and Phil Knight that Phil Knight says, I want you to hire that guy. That's how good he is. And he became known, uh, Mr. Uh, Slusher did, as a notoriously tough sports agent. Uh, he became an expert on his own interest of the psychology of sports. He earned a law degree and taught at the University of Southern California. And where he kind of got his start in the NFL negotiations was a guy named Jim Lawrence, who was a football player drafted by the New Orleans Saints in 1969. He asked his old teacher to help him negotiate a contract and Slusher secured a deal that even provided in those days unheard of financial protection in case of injuries. Uh, this really started the demand for Mr. Slusher who was uh, called Agent Orange by the sports team owners because he was reddish haired and he was scared to crap out of the team owners. So they nicknamed him Agent Orange, Mr. Slusher. Uh, Nike kept him on retainer for decades and paid him to handle uh, difficult negotiations and to oversee complicated projects. So he, uh, 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 he wrote a book in the 60s called Man, Sport, and Existence, a Critical Analysis. And this book explored why sports matter and what impels athletes to push themselves beyond their ordinary limits. Why do sports matter? Why do people go 
turn these guys into gods and, you know, give them the moon and create name and likeness and collectives and build Taj Mahals and all this stuff. And he said in his studies, what he concluded, that to many, sport had become a religion. It served as a prevailing attempt to keep order and loyalty in a society where there was no order and loyalty. And if that is the case, then you have to wonder what name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal does to uh, Mr. Slusher's con uh, conclusions that sport was about prevailing attempt, trying to keep order and loyalty in a society that had none. And, you know, I thought that was very interesting for my sports buddies out there who sometimes listen to this or with whom I have this discussion. You might want to think about this guy and whether or not his findings, which he developed in the 1960s, have really changed. And if that's the case, what are we going to be seeing from here on out in sports? Um, I suspect that uh, he may have to, if he were alive, uh, go back and revise his his uh, understanding of what people gravitate to sports for. And it's going to be interesting to see if the fans in the stands are decreasing numbers because, uh, let's face it, this fall we get something going and none of the guys out there on the field are necessarily loyal to the school uh, and don't practice the things that uh, Mr. Slusher said he thought it was all about, uh, keeping discipline and loyalty. Um, yeah, and they start flying the coop if the things go, well, if the Gators have a bad season, are we going to lose the guys to other teams? This, that, one, another. And if that, if that starts happening, I suspect you'll see a change in the attitude of the fans. I'm already beginning to hear it in some of the fans that I've talked to about what they think about it, name, image, and likeness, the collective, the transfer portal, all that sort of business, and the exorbitant salaries, not only that the coaches get, but also that, uh, the players can get many times untested, unproven. They still get the financial reward. So we don't know if Mr. Slusher's findings are accurate all that much anymore. I thought that was extremely interesting. And talking about the uh, uh, Gainesville Sun, which I've always called the Gainesville Sunset, it is literally becoming true that the Gainesville Sunset is going to be uh, indeed the Gainesville Sunset. Uh, Doug Ray, who was the managing editor, or had a title of some significance and importance that oversaw so many things there, uh, is, is gone. And we know from the stories we've been covering on the Ward Scott Files that they don't get covered in the Gainesville Sunset. They're just not there. Uh, we lots of times will feed them the very things we're getting ready to talk about, and they just don't they go unprinted. And what goes printed generally is a left viewpoint, left articles. You can almost close your eyes and predict what you're going to read in the Gainesville uh, sunset. That's not really good. Uh, just for example, if you tuned in a minute ago and heard me in Coach Hogg's uh, locker room, uh, I'd like to think that you could never have predicted what I was going to do in Coach Hogg's locker room. In other words, you couldn't have predicted that I was going to talk today about Ukraine boxers, and I was going to talk today about a man nicknamed Agent Orange by the owners. And I take that to mean that I have 
giving you fresh and objective work to think about. Uh, without a lot of, without being, I don't have any ideology supporting what I just presented in Coach Hogg's locker room. I'm not going to take a, a pro or stand, uh, con stand against name, image, and likeness and collective. It is what it is, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to report the problems that come up. And I think what I just concluded is really brilliant. I don't think you'll find this conclusion uh, shared with you anywhere else on ESPN, any of these guys who run their yak. They're not going to draw this observation your way. And that's what hopefully keeps you coming back to the Ward Scott files. And it's what kept us away. I mean, the, the writers are so predictable in the Gainesville sunset. You know what they're going to say, the position they're going to take, if they ever take it. You know what uh, politicians are going to slam, what ones are going to protect. That's not any good. You're supposed to be out there presenting information that causes these people to be well-informed and be able to think well and let everything else take care of itself. Uh, yeah, I don't think maybe Mr. Slusher's findings are going to be any longer absolutely so in the new world of athletics. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. And, you know, the way I always taught in the college was if it was interesting to me, therefore, it would be interesting to you because you would get some of the uh, energy off of my enthusiasm for it. If, if, you're, if your teacher's enthusiastic about what he's looking at and it's not predictable, uh, you know, it's not the same old dogma uh, that is written as a, as a result of a subscription to some sort of absolutely uncompromising belief, uh, then it's interesting. If you teach a class and, you, and the students figure you out in five seconds, well, there is oh so-and-so, we know what ax he's got to grind. He's over here on this side. He's over. They stop listening. They stop coming. I mean, you know, everybody, I, the guys that check onto this chat line, there's a couple, I know exactly what they're going to say. I mean, because they never change. I mean, they, they just don't change. And you can't really, really be a first-rate conversation news organization like that. And that's what happened to the Gainesville Sunset. They never changed. They're still not going to change. You know, I read Doug Ray's a Goodbye story, and it, he still misses the point. He still didn't get what did him in. And it's going to get worse. I mean, there's going to be fewer and fewer people. Already they don't take the hard copy. Already they go out online. Already uh, they can't sell. The ads used to drive that doggone paper. Go down and look at that monolithic huge building on Southwest 13th. It's empty. I mean, in its heyday, it had a roaring uh, bunch of people in there, employees and all. I have to tell you, they did it to themselves. The news organization is doing it to itself. I mean, come on. I mean, we know.
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. We had a power flicker here at the Warthog Manly Man Cave. And when we do, of course, uh, we have to reboot internet and everything. And thanks to our excellent production team, they recognized the issue right away and went to a break. And I was just about finished anyway with talking about what has been the demise of the uh, um, Gainesville sunset. They're not going to evidently be able to correct their course and understand what they have been missing uh, in their presentations. I'm going to go ahead and act as if we just had a break on time because I want to get to the big story, the trade secret argument. I'm going to take a time and walk you through that. But in terms of the weather, thanks to Lewis all for being a great supporter. Uh, We're actually a little cooler in the mid 70s right now, which it feels you can tell it right away. Uh, The sun rose this morning at 657. It's going to set at 811. And I'm going to keep you up on those times because it's going to be uh, changing it minute by minute as we go. Humidity right now is about 84% where we are. Uh, in South Texas, they're having heavy rain. And in the Western states, they're still sizzling. Um, 
The radar right now, as I looked at it a moment ago, is clear over Florida, but that doesn't mean we can't get something popping up out of the Gulf. And uh, we actually are welcoming that because that water fills our aquifer and we need all the water we can get in the aquifer. So I'm back here with you now, uh, just to sum up what we were talking about is the demise of the Gainesville um, uh, sunset. Well, unless you have been away uh, for quite a while and not with us here in this community, um, you, you know all about the battle that's going on and it reads like a mystery story. It really does. Um, the Drotos Riles versus Boss Hart trade secret argument. It's all coming down to what is a trade secret. And right now, nobody has been able to tell anybody what a trade secret is. Yet, people have been charged with stealing it. And yet, uh, they can't find it, uh, what it is that's been stolen. And, 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 and yet, the lawyer fees go up and up and up as the Drotos Riles have to defend themselves against an accusation that nobody seems to be able to define. It's the strangest thing you ever run across. I've checked this out. I'd be, but better or worse, I've become an expert on this story. I, I, I don't, you know, I just, uh, for one thing, uh, I, I got the kind of brain that can go through this and understand it. I've taught hundreds of kids to be attorneys. Um, I'm not mystified by legal jumbo mumbo. Uh, it is what it is. It's a very limited form of discourse generally. Most of the time, it's uneventful, predictable type of language filled with some references now and then to Latin and absolutely hamstrung by precedent, which they are dangerously frightened of overturning. Uh, and if they do, you know, as in the Supreme Court cases recently, people go to the street. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a business where basically one person takes words and goes north with them, and the other person takes words and goes south with them, and they argue about which directions, uh, the proper direction, sometimes in front of a judge, sometimes in front of a jury, and sometimes the argument just gets so futile that it's just dropped. Now, there's some predictions about this one. It may get to be so ridiculous after a while that it's going to be dropped. I mean, it's just a huge so far, waste of time and money. And I've been sitting in the courtroom watching it. I've been getting all the documents and sharing it with you. And the latest document to come my way was filed, I think, Friday. Uh, and, it's, and usually I don't find lawyers writing very interesting, but I, I do find this gentleman's writing very interesting. I think he's a very good writer as well as a very good attorney. And, 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 and the two kind of go together. After all, if you can tell a convincing story, um, you are going to be the one that is believed. And the words help and the way they're used. And I'm going to read just the opening introduction. Uh, this is a Roy P. Casso is the plaintiff, and he is uh, versing Aaron Bossart, Kimberly Bossart, Autumn Doughton, and all of Bossart's realty services. Um, this, I know Roy Cusso, to, as I know him, he's a quiet gentleman. He's a professional person. Uh, he's a civil engineer or involved in that craft and profession. My father was a civil engineer. Uh, I know these fellas, what they're like, how their temperaments are. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's been besmirched in this situation because he was associated 
uh, in some way or shape or form in the minds of Boss Hart at all as a villain who helped take the trade secrets. Well, that has been uh, contested by uh, Mr. Crusoe finally, because he's found himself, even though he's never been charged in this situation, he can't pass a background check even right now because he's associated with it. So I got this uh, uh, complaint sent to me. It is now posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And I got to tell you, it's about 155 pages or so. It's got all sorts of exhibits in it. It's extremely well done. And it's written by uh, Jeff Childers, the attorney for Roy Cousseau. And I want to read the introduction because written by uh, uh, Mr. Childers uh, in this uh, 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 complaint that's been filed in the Eighth Certificate Circuit Court because I just like the writing. Um, usually, as I say, um, the legalese is kind of boring, but I think you'll even like the writing. The introduction reads that, and I'll read it. And most of the time, reading things doesn't work very well, um, but I, I'm reading it. This shocking and nearly unbelievable but completely true lawsuit involves a carefully planned and orchestrated conspiracy between a group of local real estate professionals and their attorney to spitefully wipe a new competitor off the business map, derail a lawsuit they would otherwise certainly lose, incurring substantial damages, and they hoped possibly seriously injure or even kill their former employee, now competitors, including plaintiff Roy Casseau, and other innocent bystanders through a risky SWAT raid that conspirators carefully procured using their attorney by repeatedly lying to police and investigators over the course of almost a year, all while the intended targets, plaintiff and his business partners, had no idea whatsoever what was going on. Man, I got to tell you, that really is a, that really is a mouthful. Did you, did you hear all that? That is real, if true, absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. The second point that Mr. Childers makes, that's point one. Point two is you could write a book about this case. Yes, this is, and I've been here a long time, one of, if not the most, mysterious series of events that have been perpetrated on the community. Now I'll continue to read because the writing is so interesting. Point three, the defendants leveraged two main assets to ingratiate themselves with law enforcement personnel. 
their reputations as long-standing business people in the area and the professional reputations of two attorneys working with them. The relationship between the conspirators and the officers working on the falsely procured criminal case grew so intimate that law enforcement personnel, listen to this, actually allowed the defendant's attorney to have and edit the draft search warrant to be presented to a judge and that would later be used to substantiate a reckless and dangerous SWAT raid, putting the plaintiff and his business partners out of operation by confiscating all their electronics to be held for over a year by police as evidence. They still got it. And listen, there ain't no difference between what Mr. Childers is saying and what Omar the tent maker and Bernie Fife Becker said to Judge Kolaw in the courtroom that I watched. It is amazing. It is amazing that the state attorney is participating in this. It's just incredible. Now, point four. The defendants, now here we go. Now, I've looked into this. The defendants even paid thousands of dollars of police department expenses incurred during the investigation so that the police department could keep the investigation moving. Now, one of the things we're very interested in, and I've been told, so I'm not going to say it is a fact, but I've been told that there are checks written from Boss Art, I guess, to the police department, and I've been told whose name is on those checks. I'm telling you, if it's true, buddy, the plot even thickens more. I'm not going to say it publicly there, but that is one of the very interesting details that must come out. There's also another moment in this story where Kramer, the state attorney, and the attorneys for Bossard, if I remember this correctly, and I'll get to it in a little bit, and the police department talk about how to move this forward. That conversation, if it involves the state attorney, has to have been recorded. I would advise the lawyers for these uh, plaintiffs to get those conversations. And if for some reason they weren't recorded, then that thickens the plot even more. They're not going to win either way. The state attorney's office is not going to win that either way. We need to hear the conversation. And that conversation is in 
talked about in Detective Torado's deposition, which I've also posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Torado is the one, along with Pinkston, who put together this pursuit of so-called trade secrets. He didn't know what a trade secret was. So how's he going to find out? Well, suppose the people who claim trade secrets are stolen from them pay for you to go find out. And then you use what you find paid for by the guys who are alleging they were stolen against the guys they alleged stole them. That seems to be the storyline. That's point four. The defendants even paid thousands of dollars of police department expenses incurred during the investigation so that the police department could keep the investigation moving. Point five is ironically, the plaintiff, in this case, Roy Casso, was not one of the defendants intended targets. They were really after his two business partners, Daniel Drotos and Michael Riles. The plaintiff was just inconveniently in the way. Now, this is what ought to frighten you and me and everybody else. You could be in the wrong place at the wrong time and find yourself unable to pass a background check, find your reputation ruined, find your business is no longer what it was before because you've been besmirched. Point six is that the defendants were furious when plaintiff and his partners quit working for Balsart Realty and opened a competing commercial real estate business. Their fury was inflamed into a raging wildfire. This is why this is interesting reading, by the way. After Grotos and Riles sued them for unpaid commissions. That's what really is the crux of this. It's a civil matter, obviously. An argument over commissions. The mystery, my friends, in the community is how did it become a criminal matter to the extent that you had to send the gendarmes in there with toting guns and aiming them at innocent people? How in the world does that happen? Who was the state attorney who allowed that to happen? Is that where the ultimate responsibility is? Who was the police chief who allowed that to happen? What is going on? The defendants conceived a dark scheme to weaponize law enforcement against the plaintiff and his partners by fabricating false allegations of crimes they whispered into police ears over the course of a year. The defendants leaned into their legal knowledge and skills to influence the criminal case so that it would ultimately lead to a high-risk raid on the plaintiff's commercial real estate office by a dozen heavily armed SWAT agents plus assorted police officials and officers. 
a raid the defendants hoped would put the plaintiff out of business for good, either by destroying his electronic records or by seriously injuring or even killing him. Now, you know, I got to looking at that. Is that a hyperbole, even killing him? I got to tell you something now. If things had gone wrong, if there had been it, hey, how many times have we heard of it? I mean, this is the issue in Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor wasn't the drug merchant. Her boyfriend was. Breonna Taylor gets plugged by the overzealous, frightened cops. What's to say that would not or could not have happened here if somebody had put up the least bit of confused reaction? Let's say had run. You don't know. Point seven. This is heavy now. This was a conspiracy to murder the plaintiff and his business partners by SWAT. Wow. Okay, we're going to war now. Disprove that. You know, this is a difficult thing to disprove, is it not? Because you don't know. You don't know what could have happened. Had there been any kind of flinch here on the part of the innocent people. So now they got to prove that that couldn't have happened. And guess what that's going to lead to? That's going to lead to instances where it did happen. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This would never be in the games of Sun, by the way. This will never be on Channel 20, by the way. This is here on the Ward Scott Files. Point eight. But the plaintiff wasn't killed or injured was able to get back on his feet after his office was cleaned out of its electronics. And then defendants lost their civil lawsuit anyway and have been ordered to pay over a million dollars in damages and attorney's fees. That is the arbitration settlement, which we have posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, uh, which is uh, now being finalized and ultimately will be acted upon by Judge Kime, is my understanding. So here is the problem. The plaintiff seeks restitution from the defendants for profound injury to his previously untarnished reputation since the case was widely covered by the media. And he has even been thrown out of some of his preferred charitable service organizations because of his quote unquote criminal record. Well, 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 well. And then we go into a line by line, carefully written timeline of how long this has gone on, how much conspiracy has gone into it. And it raises a couple of very interesting questions. What is a trade secret? Nobody has been able to define it that I've seen. 
why did the state attorney believe all this? Huh? Huh? And then, well, how did it become a criminal case when it started out as an argument over commissions? How do you take, you know, I'm going to leave. All right, I'm going to leave. So I'm not entitled to commissions on what I've done. And that becomes an argument. And all of a sudden, it's not an argument over commissions. It's an argument over to get those commissions. You had to steal trade secrets. And nobody that I have talked to in the real estate profession, and I had a broker's license myself and have done many real estate deals. I've, and Freck. Florida Real Estate Commission has never, ever taken this case up because they don't see anything that defines trade secrets, and yet the state attorney takes it up. And really keeps it going. I saw it with my own eyes in court C in front of George Colo. You know, to my knowledge right now, the state attorney's office has never delivered to the judge and to the plaintiff's attorneys, Rotos and Riles, what they, the state attorney's office, would present to a jury as a trade secret. The state attorney's office. Can't tell you what a trade secret is, but they charge somebody for stealing it. Shortly after Riles, Rotos, and the company attended a failed mediation in the lawsuit, Aaron Bosshart and Autumn Doughton individually and as the company's agents delivered their first lie to the Gainesville Police Department. They fabricated a carefully planned and false narrative that Riles, Drotos, and Casso had stolen the company's trade secrets when they left the company's employment. A copy of the false police report is attached as Exhibit A. That was just the beginning from July 31st, 2020 through at least January 21st, 2022. Defendants engaged in a systematic and deliberate scheme to hoodwink law enforcement officers into believing that Riles, Grotos, and Casso were dangerous criminals. And the only explanation that I'm getting feedback from the public about as the public is listening to this show is that this has to be finally and ultimately an example of law enforcement corruption. Okay. Okay. You be the judge. On July 31st, 2020, Aaron Bosshart and Autumn Doughton met with a Gainesville Police Department officer at the company's offices. At that meeting, Aaron Bosshart told the officer he had already spoken with the state attorney's office, going over the heads of the police department to report that four former employees including Casso, had stolen the company's trade secrets. 
Aaron Bossart told the police officer that plaintiff and his partners had stolen about 160 confidential trade secret files and assured the officer that all 160 files would be considered trade secrets according to statute 812.081. The truth is that the 160 files are unremarkable, non-confidential, public information that had not been stolen, but were carefully dressed up and disguised by the defendants to make them look more secret and confidential. Following the meeting with the officer, Aaron Bossart emailed the state attorney, providing the police report and falsely claiming plaintiff's, quote, theft of intellectual property, end quote. The July 31st, 2020 email is attached as Exhibit B. On August 6, 2020, Aaron Bossart again emailed the state attorney, this time attaching a contract. Bossart falsely claimed that the contract was yet another confidential stolen document. At the time he made them, Aaron Bossart knew his claims about the contract in Exhibit C were false because, among other reasons, the contract was executed after Cassot left the company and was never, quote-unquote, stolen from the company. On August 25, 2020, Aaron Bossart again emailed the state attorney, falsely claiming that Cassot stole files, including bizarrely, bizarrely is a word, it's an adverb, you almost never see in a legal brief. But mind you, we got a guy writing, a lawyer, who can write, who can tell a story. And he's telling a story and he's supporting it with documentation. You know, it's not unlike what I do. I tell a story and I support it with documentation. I just tell a story. And then you take it and do what you want to with it. So on August 25th, 2020, Aaron Bossart again emailed the state attorney falsely claiming that Cassot stole files, including bizarrely the entire commercial division of the company. And that's attached as Exhibit D. Now, this is pretty interesting. This is what I'm referring to. On August 26, 2020, Aaron Bossart, Autumn Doughton, Kimberly Bossart, and their lawyer organized a conference call with law enforcement officers, including the Gainesville Police Department, Derek Torado, whose deposition we have posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, and Assistant State Attorney Michael Becker, whom we call RE5. On the call, Aaron Bossart forcefully, forcefully claimed that Drotos, Riles, and Casso had stolen or directed the theft of confidential trade secret company business files. He told law enforcement officers the trade secrets included, but were not limited to secret maps, confidential aerial photos, contracts, contract addenda, technical drawings, da, da, da. And it goes on. And the point is, all of that which he claimed was stolen 
is a copy is in copyrighted form that is widely available. This, this is you can you can show this widely available to members of the Florida Realtors. Copyrighted materials that are widely available to members of the Gainesville Multiple Listing Service. Profit and loss statements, rent rolls, commission agreements, conceptual site plans, topographical surveys, floor plans, and sample layouts. Aaron Bossart, Autumn Dowden, Kimberly Bossart, and their lawyer had known or should have known that the materials listed above were not confidential and were not trade secret of the company under any definition. Now, I suppose I got to check into this some more, but if I'm the state attorney and some officer of the court, which is another liar, comes with his clients and says, what we're presenting to you is fact. Am I, and I guess this is the old ostrich thing. Am I as the state attorney obligated to evaluate that accusation before I go forth and issue and start all wheels in motion that ultimately wind up with a SWAT team? Is there any obligation on my part to, to evaluate the Anybody out there in listener land want to comment on this? Feel free. Am I obligated to evaluate? If, if somebody comes and says, well, this guy dented my car in the parking lot. Nobody saw it, but I claim it. And you, the state attorney, say, oh, you say he dented your car? Okay, we'll issue a warrant for his arrest. Well, did you not ask for evidence of the dent? Okay, so you get a picture of the dent. Can you tell if the dent was there before the alleged incident? Or do you have a way, or you just take the guy's word that this other person dented the car? I mean, this is kind of what I'd like to know from some more legal eases. Am I, on, am I supposed to check that out a little bit more before, let's say it was Mrs. Jones who this guy, Mr. Smith, claims dented his car. So we go grab Mrs. Jones with a SWAT team and say, Mrs. Jones, get over here. You dented his car. Mrs. Jones said, that dent was on his car before I ever, I, you see the problem? You see the problem with all this? Or just one of the problems? Because Childers in here says at the time, the defendant's lawyer knew his suggested edits were false. He knew the alleged stolen materials were not trade secrets, that they were not in fact stolen. And he knew that law enforcement would rely upon these statements based upon the fact he's a member of the Florida Bar in good standing. So I guess to answer the question, if a liar comes... Isn't it something? It's all a little brotherhood, and all those lawyers are all part of a little brotherhood. Well, sisterhood too. I guess they left women in too. Sure. So if a liar comes and says, "Well, you know, these guys, they really did take it. Take my word for it," then if I were the state attorney, I'd kick it back on the liar's head and get him in a heap of trouble. I sure wouldn't want it coming down on mine. 
On September 30th, 2020, Aaron Balshart responded to the question in the state attorney's email and lied, claiming that the expiration date of real estate listing agents was protected on many levels. The September 30th, 2020 email is attached. Is that Aaron Balshart knew or should have known his statement was false because Aaron Balshart signed the separation agreement on behalf of the company conveying all the listings identified by the state attorney of Collier's along with the related information. Uh, Kimberly Bossart, a lawyer, knew or should have known that the files she falsely told law enforcement were confidential trade secrets of the company were not, in fact, trade secrets. Well, I'm only on page, my good friends, seven of the 165 pages. A very detailed, it's posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, very detailed, step-by-step explanation by Attorney Jeff Childers of what, on behalf of his client, which is Roy Cousseau, Boss Arts did, alleged to have done. Now, you can also go out there and find Detective Torado's deposition. And I just saw her summarize that for you. They have to pry out of his hands an admission by him that he didn't know a trade secret from a cow patty. He relied, too, on whatever Boss Hart told him. I'm trying to think of an analogy. I suppose if you go to somebody's house and you steal their toaster, let's just say it's something stupid. You steal their toaster and you claim that the toaster was a million dollar toaster. I don't know. You got to, I don't know how, you, but you know, let's just, I'm just making it up so you can see what I'm talking about. A million dollar toaster. And I go to GPD and I say, hey, this guy stole a toaster. And they say, a toaster? We don't care about a toaster. And you say, well, yeah, you care about this one because it's a million dollar toaster. And so GPT, GPD takes your word for it. Without any proof that it's a million dollar toaster. There you go. All right, we'll uh, check on out here now and uh, hope you can check all this out yourself and find it uh, useful for you. It's on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And uh, we'll uh, certainly enjoy hearing your feedback on it. Warthog Command Center out.